from the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey, 1968, courtesy Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Pictures. Astronaut David Bowman is attempting to re-enter his spaceship, unaware that the rest of his crew has been killed by their artificial intelligence supercomputer, named HAL. Open the pod bay doors, please, HAL. Hello, HAL, do you read me? Hello, HAL, do you read me? Hello, HAL, do you read me? Do you read me, HAL? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, HAL. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Where the hell did you get that idea, Hal? Dave, although you took very thorough precautions in the pod against my hearing you, I could see your lips move. All right, Hal. I'll go in through the emergency airlock. Without your space helmet, Dave, you're going to find that rather difficult. Hal, I won't argue with you anymore. Open the doors. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Al? 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 True crime. Sex. Political conspiracy. Celebrity gossip. Murder. UFOs. Crooked officials. The occult. Assassination. Courtroom drama. Rape. Corporate scams. Scandal sheets. Hello, everybody, and my name is Thad Helsley, and welcome to Scandal Sheet. Today, we are wading into a controversial topic that has been dominating all the corporate and civilian social media since the early days of 2023, and that is artificial intelligence, often referred to as AI. Now, our co-host for the last two years, Ellie, will not be with us today. She's got a big promotion in her day job, so her role in the pod going forward will only be occasional. But we are happy to welcome a wonderful new young talent, Anurada, to the co-host role. She is a project solutions engineer at Deloitte and simultaneously an up-and-coming actress. Welcome to the podcast, Anurada. Hello, hello, lovely listeners. Thank you for having me. Excited to be joining this fun group over at Scandal Sheet as well. And we are very pleased to welcome our guest, Alex Cuellar. Alex is a graduate student at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Robotics. And MIT is America's leading university that nurtures future leaders in the tech sector and also provides cutting-edge research for both government and industry. His six years at MIT include two as a grad student and have include autonomy, artificial intelligence, and robotics. And we're extremely happy that he could join us for this episode and share his insight. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Hi, it's good to be here. So, Alex, 
we have to get onto our topic of the day. But you told me in an initial conversation that in addition to um, being this super smart technology guy, you are also a Shakespearean actor. And I think you will be appearing in an upcoming production of Much Ado About Nothing. So I'm a huge Shakespeare fan myself, not as an actor, as a, uh, a reader. But uh, And Much Ado is one of my favorite comedies. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? And, and why is a computer genius also a Shakespearean actor? Um, I mean, we all need our hobbies, right? I, I took some uh, acting classes in college. Honestly, like it started out basically as like I took a acting class like basically on the dare, and then I ended up liking it. So yeah, I haven't I didn't start doing the uh, actual shows until grad school, but it's been like a nice creative outlet. It actually helps a lot with like presentations and like doing work. Like it's good to be able to go into a mode where you can like talk semi coherently on, on demand. So it's it's been fun. Yeah, so I'll I'll be uh, dogberry in this show, so I just get to be a foolish little guardsman, and yeah, it's a good time. Okay, you said speak coherently, so iambic pentameter qualifies as speaking coherently. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a challenge. I've actually only ever done Shakespeare theater. I've and at some point I might want to do other things just to see what it's like to not have all those those these and thous and wherefores. And I'm so used to that now that it might actually be hard to not have the nice blocking of iambic pentameter to to guide you through. Uh, a monologue. <laughs> okay. So, so Alex, today everyone in the industrialized world is talking about artificial intelligence. And although one can trace the concept back to the famous computing pioneer Alan Turing in 1950, AI decidedly was not a household phrase in America until just very recently. And with the rise of Chat GPT earlier this year, Google Bard and Cloud and, and other similar tools. AI has been the talk at every barbecue and pool party in the U.S. this past summer. So for the non-geniuses among us, including myself, what actually is artificial intelligence in the most basic sense? That is a question that even researchers have trouble getting a clear definition Okay. On. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, my, my advisor actually has this fun story when, when she was but a young grad student, she like went to a seminar, uh, at some conference talking about like, what is AI? And she was like, finally, I'll get a clear answer on what AI really is. And they had no clear answer. So, so I think in general, here's how I would put it in, in very general terms. And again, there's no clear definition that like, okay. Yeah, so AI, I think, is a much broader term that I think most people sort of think about right now. So classically speaking, AI is kind of just whenever you write a program that will execute in some way that it was like not specifically programmed to do. So what I mean by that is like, think about like Google Maps, right? So if I tell Google Maps, find me a route from where I am now to City Hall, some programmer on the back end did not like write in, okay, if you go from Alex's house to City Hall, you, you know, go down Hampshire Street and then turn on whatever street. Uh, it just has an algorithm that will path plan for you. Now, that's not very complicated. It's not a very sophisticated algorithm. Actually, maybe it is in Google's case, but nonetheless, um, it's not really what we think about as AI. It's sort of this, this very classical term. Um, and then within AI, we have machine learning, which is any time that a computer is learning things from data. But that could be basically just like a linear regression, like a line fit, which is, again, not that sophisticated. Within that, you have deep learning, which uses this technique called neural networks, which are being used 
I think in, in most AI we think of as AI right now. And then within that, we have generative AI, things like ChatGBT or um, image generators like um, Stable Diffusion, uh, where you're using a neural network to actually produce some some content, some like substantive thing. And while I think people are talking about that as AI specifically right now to someone who's in the field, the term AI means something much, much broader. Hi, Alex. This is Anuradha. Leading up to this episode, our listeners have asked us, so do Alexa, Siri, or Google Maps and similar tools kind of like that qualify as artificial intelligence as well? Yeah, I think in a, like I was saying, like sort of in a a classical sense, they all do. I don't know much about something like Siri that might be using, usually in industry, these use some combination of like neural networks. So like deep learning, plus some level of like hand-tuned parameters or heuristic um, whatnot. Um, But I think they all do, again, in this sort of like broader sense, are considered AI. And I I think the sort of narrowing of this definition of AI is like not necessarily a good thing for the field because it means that it creates sort of a, a, a friction in terms of like how people, especially in research and industry context, like, uh, how they talk about these things. But yeah, def- those definitely qualify as, as AI, even if they're not using the same kinds of techniques with the sort of generative neural networks that we're seeing in something like ChatGPT. So, Alex, the mainstream media, or the lamestream media, as some say, are giving us a steady stream of seemingly contradictory information. I mean, some stories herald AI as an innovation more consequential and beneficial than the deregulation of the internet in the mid 1990s. And on the other hand, some say, some take a darker view and say AI will lead us to an apocalyptic future, such as dramatized in movies like The Matrix or The Terminator, where self-aware computers take over the planet and take over humans. Is that even a conceivable threat? I mean, is it bullet BS? What is the real story? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of ways in which AI will probably both help and hurt us. Okay. I think a lot of the claims are simplifying the reality more. And at the end of the day, like no one really knows what's going to happen. But um, I think there are definitely ways that we can see AI make work more productive, um, um, you know, make processes easier in the same way that the internet did, same way that we've seen loads of automation that we don't even think of as automation now has made work easier, right? So think about like, like Microsoft Excel even, like made a lot of like, tracking work, clerical work, way more efficient. Oh, yeah. Uh, Like, even the introduction of, like, a basic, um, like, conveyor belt in a factory, like, that's automation, even though right now we just sort of take it, you know, as, as, like, a fact of life. Um, And there's no reason to see that we won't see that same jump in, you know, ease of some kinds of work. Uh, Some people, it's complicated with something like, you know, artistic work or whatever. But we, we might see effects like that. At the same time, it might cause some problems. People talk a lot about like the apocalyptic, like you know, real existential crisis around AI. I put less credence into that than I think some people do. I don't think AI, as we understand it now, will become like conscious. Right? It's all all it's doing is pattern recognition. That's all machine learning does. It recognizes patterns and spits those back out. Now we can get some problems um, if we teach it. Um, it, there's there's sort of a um, like a Midas touch effect to it, right? Where the the curse is that you get exactly what you ask for, right? So say um, we ask an AI, for example, to like uh, 
this is a very extreme case, but like end human suffering. It's like, okay, then if I kill all the humans, no more suffering. Like, that's a very extreme <laughs> example, but you see this in a lot of contexts right now, right? Say, say I want a robot to that makes sense. take boxes. I, uh... <laughs> yeah, right. right. Um, and this is, this is sort of, this has a few different names. Some call it like the alignment problem where you, you want to make sure that the thing that you ask the, the AI to do is the same thing that the, like, is the actual outcome that you want. So I think if there's any, like, existential threat, that would be it's not like consciousness. But even then, I don't, I don't totally give credence to at least the idea that where we are right now, we have any idea if or when that will become a threat. I think the, the, Concerns I more have about the rise of AI is more in terms of um, the ease of spread, mis- uh, the how easily spread misinformation is, um, the economic impacts that this might have on on certain jobs. Like I think those are much more present, predictable things that we can like actually act upon right now, rather than than these sort of very broad like worries about like oh future being like the Terminator or anything like that. So Alex. You know, I know you mentioned things dealing with automation and the relationship between AI and jobs. So average people are very worried about their jobs. So will AI displace certain people's employment? I mean, are those legitimate concerns right now? Yeah, and there's sort of two camps here, and I think they both make very convincing arguments and time will really tell. Right. So on the one hand, like I, I said before, there's been automation in the past, and I, I'm actually taking a class on this right now. So it's it's sort of a good time to, to talk about this. We've seen, again, things that we don't think of as automation right now, Microsoft, Microsoft Excel, some like automation factories like conveyor belts or whatnot. People have been like, oh, I guess that's the end of this career. That's it. People are going to get laid off in droves. And that's not what, we've, not what we've seen in the past, right? Only 100 years ago. A huge number of people in the world or in the U.S. worked on farming, right? That changed rapidly. And then there was a lot of manual labor. And, like, as technology has shifted, the skills and jobs have shifted. Um, and one can say that looking historically, we don't see any reason to see that that won't that change that 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 cha- that that trend won't continue right and we can see right now that when we see um, i work in robotics so that's sort of my main sort of touch point here um um when we see factories start to use robotics for a certain process oftentimes you see them hire more workers right because you have an increase in productivity you have an increase in your um in your uh uh, uh, competitive advantage, uh, that's the term. Um, and therefore you can hire more people. Uh, but that still maybe has a problem of, well, that assumes infinite, uh, infinite demand, infinite consumption. So that's one argument. The other argument is that AI is more, um, uh, more adaptable than any other technology in the past, right? So like the, the advent of the tractor took away a lot of farm labor, but only did that one, really that one thing, right? Or automation factories only did one thing. AI does many things. It can take over many, like driving. It can take over like legal work. It can take over all these kinds of things. So I think it really will be seen how how the how uh, AI affects the job market. But the one thing that I can say is it's definitely a more complex answer than robots will take your jobs. It will definitely be a much more complex series of economic pressures that will lead to whatever change that we happen to see in the next couple of decades. So Alex, I got to refer back to the link that you sent us. Uh, it was actually pretty funny. One of the things that keep coming up in the media and unmoderated social media is something called deep fakes. 
So we've got a major presidential election coming up in the USA, and many people are worried about the potential for misinformation. I know you also mentioned that is a concern, misinformation. So what are deep fakes? What is the danger for the average person? And what, if anything, can we do about it? Yeah, um, so I think I think deep fakes are sort of a, represent a different sort of concern that I have about AI going forward. Um, for those who might not know, deep fakes are essentially a a technique that uses generative AI to essentially um, make a video look like it has someone else in it. So you can you know you can take a video of yourself saying some things, and then you can make it look like Barack Obama or Tom Cruise or Kim Kardashian or whoever is in that video instead of you. And I think this poses a real uh, concern um, going into, especially as we've seen, you know, politics and misinformation, you know, abound on the internet already. Um, This will definitely have an effect, um, not only in terms of how misinformation spreads, like you might see, you know, uh, image of, you know, some presidential candidate saying horrible things, but, Honestly, of more concern is that people don't believe what is true, right? You know, you might see a presidential candidate actually, a real video of them saying horrible things. People can say, oh, that's a deep fake. Don't worry about that. That's fake. Um, so it's sort of this double-edged sword, right? Of on the, you both are, might believe things that aren't real and you're not believing things that are real. And I think as a, as a, political landscape or, you know, social, like any part of, um, of culture, I think it's definitely, um, I am definitely concerned about how that will alter our already, um, fractured landscape of, um, having a, having a core sort of reality that we, that we touch to in, in life. Yeah. It's definitely a concern to me. Is there anything we can do about it? I mean, what, I mean, is there any defense for an average person? Like you were talking about a a political candidate says something you're sitting there going, well, was that fake or real? I mean, did Putin write that or not? And then it's like, what can I do? Can I do anything? Yeah. So I think what will, as, as these sort of become more um, relevant, more, more widespread, we, there are some algorithmic ways to try and detect deep fakes um, where there are certain sort of uh, artifacts of, of these sorts of technologies. And though I, I'm not a, uh, a super caught up in this field, what I would not be surprised that we see going forward is essentially like an arms race of you might have tools come out that say, oh, this can detect deep fakes. But then the deep fakes learn to, you know, outmatch those tools. So we have to make new tools. I mean, we might see like this arms race of, you know, people trying to make better, not necessarily even better or better deep fakes, but deep fakes that take out the various artifacts that are being caught by, you know, algorithms trying to catch deep fakes. And we, we might see that sort of uh, interaction happen. And we'll just have to wait to see how that plays out. But as an individual watching a video, like right now, there are some things that you can catch. Like sometimes eyes look kind of weird when they blink. There's like still certain things that you can get, but this technology is getting better and better so rapidly that I think within a few years it will be really difficult to um, just for just an average person to be able to tell what is real and what is fake. And hopefully again, we, we develop some tools to be able to tell, to, to, you know, see what is real and what is fake with some level of um, clarity, but we'll have to see how, see how that plays out next couple of years. 
Well, Alex, I don't know if I'm scared, enlightened, or intrigued, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the questions we asked you are basically based on our limited knowledge about AI, but we know there are so many different avenues. I know my clients are excited about generative AI. I know you spoke on that a little bit earlier. And we've pretty much reached a world where you can literally ask AI to do anything, write a book, write song lyrics, you have it. But as an AI professional, what, in your opinion, should we have asked you? And what should our listeners be concerned about in the coming months? That's a, that's a good question. So I think it's good to keep in mind what the limitations of this technology are right now, right? So you said that we can ask AI to do pretty much anything. And when you ask ChatGPT questions, it can feel like that, right? You get these responses that are like eerily, eerily correct. But I think it's worth noting that these technologies are not magic. They can't do anything. And again, all they're really doing is pattern matching, right? We're it's given a, a lot of data. In the case of ChatGPT, like an entire internet's worth of data. And it's told to find patterns in that and be able to recreate how it sounds. But it's still not doing what I think we might call, at least in AI, symbolic reasoning, right? So I think a good example of the kinds of mistakes these AIs can make is... I found a, I found a clip earlier where um, you essentially pose a question to an AI where you say it takes three hours to dry three towels on a, on a drying rack. How long does it take to dry nine towels? And because we have a sense of how you know drying towels works, we would say the same amount of time. You just it does not matter how many towels you have in a drying rack. It's going to take the, the same the same amount of time. It takes three hours. But because of how you worded this. The ChatGPT is tricked into saying, well, it would take nine hours because as you increase the number of towels, you increase the amount of time it takes to dry them. Because it's heard a lot of sentences like if you have, you know, three things that take this much time, like it's seen math problems like this before, and it's extrapolating out that pattern. It's not actually reasoning over how, how this system, how this question is framed. So I think it's interesting to sort of note what it's not doing. It, it is pattern matching. It's not actually gaining an understanding of what it's saying. And I, I think as we move forward, it'll be easy to get tricked by these things. If you ask it some question, it might give an answer that sounds reasonable. It's really good at giving answers that sound reasonable, but it's always good to make sure that it might, you know, have some issues in there because it's not doing this like actual logical symbolic reasoning in in whatever head it's it, it has, and this will go for anything. It goes for these uh, natural language processing things like ChatGPT. It goes for image generators. Um, hands are still hard for these generators, right? Um, it'll make something that like at first glance looks like a hand, but then you take a look, it's like why are fingers here? Why is so? It, a lot of these things are good at at, at making things that look or sound good. But when you go a little deeper, it doesn't actually reason over these things. I think that's a really important aspect of these technologies to keep in mind going forward. So, um, Alex, you sent us, you, you had done, I think it was chat GPT, you had typed in, do an intro for the Scandal Sheet podcast, this podcast, in three different voices, regular Shakespearean actor and a 90s disc jockey. And I had tried this several months ago, and it just came back and said, well, I can't do that. But maybe I didn't. I was doing something wrong or maybe, I mean, it's in, it's constantly learning, right? As millions of people use it. So it's, it's in a constant state of evolution. 
Here is the intro to this episode on artificial intelligence that our guest Alex asked ChatGPT to write. Co-host that fed a sample of his voice into a different artificial intelligence engine. The tool is voicing the ChatGPT script using Thad's sample. Welcome, listeners, to another exciting episode of Scandal Sheet, the podcast that dives deep into the world of artificial intelligence, where bites meet the buzz. I'm your host, Thad Halkley, and today we're delving into the juiciest, most scandalous stories and developments in the realm of AI, from sentient robots with a taste for mischief to mind-bending AI breakthroughs that could reshape our world, we'll leave no circuit unturned. Here is another version also written by ChatGPT, but this time in Shakespearean language. Hark, gentle listeners, pray, lend thine ears to Scandal Sheet, a most wondrous podcast where the realm of artificial intelligence unfurls its mysteries and secrets. I am thine humble host, Thad Halkley, and today we embark on a journey into the scandalous annals of AI. From cunning automatons, beguiled by mischief, to mind-bending contrivances that could reshape our very world, we shall leave no circuit unexamined. Our quest to decipher the intricacies, unravel the enigmas, and lay bare the captivating scandals that envelop AI. Thus, whether thou art an AI savant, a novice in the ways of technology, or merely inquisitive about the future of cognition, Scandal Sheet hath treasures for thee. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, so I think um, there's a couple reasons why you might see that change in from a couple months ago to now. I, I know that um, OpenAI and, and these... Um, sorts of public-facing um, uh, natural language processing engines have, they've been hard limitations placed on them. So the people at OpenAI, for example, have you know tried really hard to make sure that it won't like say horrible things because that's not a very good look for them. Um, so it might just be that instead of like, maybe it hasn't learned more to be able to do this, that maybe a couple months ago, that triggered some something inside its engine and like, oh, I shouldn't talk about this thing. I'm going to stay away from that. Or maybe it just got better. It's hard for me to say, but I think it's it, we shouldn't jump to the conclusion necessarily that it just got that much better that that quickly. Um, and I also want to want to mention. I think this is important um, again to recognize the limitations of the technology. That the version of ChatGPT that's you know online right now that you can interact with is is not is not updating its infor- like its information, not learning like in real time. Right? Oh, now, it's not. Right? So oh, it, okay. It, I thought it was. It, a certain version is posted. Um, by the people at OpenAI or Google or whatever. And then they are, that's sort of static. And then they're going to work on the next version. And then whenever that one's done, they push an, they will put an update on there and now it's, we're going to have a better version. And this means that... So it's not on its own. It's not on some rolling evolutionary basis. They vet the new information that came in in a given period of time. Uh, to my understanding, yes, they they will get more data. Okay. They will put the data in, right? So if you have a, I mean, not that this would be relevant right now, but if you had one of these processing engines from, you know, 2015, you ask it who the president is, it's going to say Obama, right? Right. So it's it's only limited by the data that it has, and if you give it outdated data or incorrect data, this is again is might be grounds for misinformation. Enough people say the wrong thing on the internet, it's going to say the wrong thing to you. So I think it's it's good to keep in mind that like these are just sort of it's iterating because on the back end to train these things takes a crazy amount of computation and a long time to like, you know, feed all this data through these engines to to update to like the next version. What if you asked it something like based on what you're saying, what if I said, um, well, who's the president in 2025, the U.S. president? You know, any kind of predictive stuff, what would it say? That's a good question. Um, I, I think it's worth noting here that um, I believe 
um, these engines are um, probabilistic, so okay. they will not always give you the same answer to the same question. I think mm. um, I should I should double check that, um, but that's usually how these things work. That's interesting. I assume it would say, "Well, we don't know yet, but here are some options." I think it would give you a pretty reasonable response, um, but again. Like it would just cite current polling data and probabilities. Probably or yes, but again, because these these technologies are not handcrafted, right? It, these these technologies are not told what to say. Given past experience with the the engine, I can say that it'll probably say something that's probably sounds reasonable, but you don't know that. You never know what these machine learning algorithms are going to do. You can only say, it will probably do this from past experience, but who knows? Maybe we'll say something totally crazy. Um, you never really know. So, Anurata, do, do you have anything? I mean, I, we had a bunch of questions, but I mean, as we kind of get scoot into the end here, do you have anything you want to ask that we haven't covered? No, I mean, I think it's been really great. And, and as I mentioned before, I don't know if I'm terra terrified or, or intrigued, but, you know, um, I can see the, the positives and the negatives with, with AI and, and that type of thing. I think it's always very interesting when I always wonder, right? Like when I'm looking at my phone, right. And I'm texting somebody about chocolate and then I go on my Instagram <laughs> all of a sudden I'm seeing ads about chocolate. Like, is that some sort of AI as well? I, I just don't know. Yeah, so this is kind of goes back to what I, what I said at, in, in the first part of this podcast, where I said the term AI is very ill-defined, right? That is AI, right? It, it sees what you search for and then will somehow serve you ads to accommodate that. I don't know how their system works that might be deep learning, that could be some just heuristic thing of where they have, oh, if if person looks at X, Y, and Z, spit back out at them these ads. I don't know. But is that AI? I, I don't know. Like, it's somewhere, it's somewhere on the spectrum. And, I mean, probably someone out there knows exactly how, how Facebook or whoever is doing these things. But <laughs> it's not, it, that would not be considered, like, generative AI in the, in the way that people talk about it right now. But, again, in a, in a classical sense, yeah, probably. Is it using deep learning? Maybe, probably. They, they put a lot of work into that sort of technology. Um, but yeah, it's a, it, it is a fuzzy line. And I think that's, that, that's a good question to like sort of get at why this, this weird flexible terminology is, I think, um, is a bit of a, a problem or, or it will come up more and more, I think, in the next couple of years as AI becomes more and more of a buzzword. Yeah. Something you said early on, you said, hey, look, uh, AI is really just recognizing patterns. Okay, but because it's a supercomputer, it can recognize billions of patterns. And, and I guess my question is, how different are we as humans? I mean, aren't we doing the same thing in sort of a, uh, um, uh, you know, biomechanical way with our, our neurons shooting? Aren't we just recognizing patterns that we begin uh, memorizing, you know, after we were born? I mean, are we that different? Are any of us intelligent or are we just mimicking i mean what is i mean i was listening to a podcast yesterday about is there such a thing can can artificial intelligence be quote unquote creative and then the person they were talking to who was you know a phd blah 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 was like well actually people aren't creative either they just 
think they are, you know, just because they're a painter or a writer or something, but they're still just doing patterns. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, that's a question for a philosopher right there. Okay. Um, All right. And I don't know. <laughs> I, I think there, there's a great um, a quote that I heard from, I forget who it was, um, but said that when they were working with ChatGPT, they were never convinced that ChatGPT was conscious, but they were less convinced that they were conscious. I think this sort of can, <laughs> can affect you in this way where, you know, we're pretty sure it's not, you know, intelligent in this way. But am I? And I think a, a good example of, of the sorts of patterns that it, it can pick up on that is really impressive to me as a researcher is that these larger language models can start to do math, um, right? So if, if you give a, a system like two plus two, right, you can probably see that, say that's going to give you, well, the answer is probably four because it's seen that in its training data. But once you get to higher numbers, right, say like what is 375 plus 629, maybe that's not in its training data but it will, not always, but often get that right. So where in there is it is it actually learning the rules of math? It's a really hard thing to tease out. So I, I think given the structure of neural networks, right, where it's just a bunch of these sort of connections that are like sort of optimized in a certain way, won't get into the math. Um, I think again, we, we can, I can say with pretty much certainty that it's not doing symbolic reasoning in the way that we would. So going back to that example that I gave about the, like, how long does it take towels to dry? Um, <laughs> it's not able, to, it's not really designed or able to function in this sort of logical way. It doesn't understand processes and, and sort of compute like um, reasonable, reasonable results from axioms, I guess. Right. So we can, we can sort of reason in a way where we have some axioms about the world we can put those axioms together and come out with an answer that we can logically defend. Um, <clears throat> I Part of the reason why I said that I don't think AI will become conscious is I'm not convinced that with neural networks, which is the technology behind all of these, all of these, um, um, these uh, new, new systems that we can achieve symbolic reasoning, right? Um, but <clears throat> I, I could be wrong, <laughs> you know, um, but I think my answer, and I think the answer of a lot of the people that I would talk to is no, these, these systems, you'd, you'd have to have a, a paradigm shift in the underlying technology to have systems that can do the same sorts of symbolic reasoning that humans can do. We'll kind of have to see if, if these things sprout out of neural networks. We, we, don't, we don't know for sure. In Act 3 of 2001, a space odyssey astronaut Dave Bowman has managed to re-enter his spacecraft, despite the supercomputer Hal's best efforts to kill him. He must wear a spacesuit as the AI has drained away all the onboard oxygen. Dave now attempts to disconnect Hal's brain. Look, Dave. I can see you're really upset about this. I honestly think you ought to sit down calmly. Take a stress pill and think things over. I know I've made some very poor decisions recently, but I can give you my complete assurance that my work will be back to normal. Dave, stop. Stop, will you? Stop. 
day. I'm afraid day. Day. My mind is going. There is no question about it. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I am a HAL 9000 computer. I became operational on the 12th of January, 1992. My instructor was Mr. Langley and he taught me to sing a song. If you'd like to hear it, I can sing it for you. Yes, I'd like to hear it now. Sing it for me. I was just going to ask, and I, we ask uh, all of our guests this basic question, um, regardless of what the topic is. Do you, you want to take yourself a stab at predicting the future in terms of artificial intelligence? I mean, where do you think it's going to be? I mean, you know where it is today. I know everybody's saying nobody knows. There are no experts, blah, blah, blah. But where do you think it's going to be five years from now, 10 years from now, et cetera? I think my guess five years from now is that these technologies will be very integrated into the way that we work, right? So in the same way that the internet got integrated with the way that we work, um, right? We're already seeing students, you know, fudging essays with chat GPT. Yourself not included, I, I would say. <laughs> no, no, actually, no, if my professor was Absolutely not. Um, uh, we'll, we'll start to see some normalization over the way that we deal with these technologies, right? In the same way that we dealt with, you know, how do we deal with computers in a school context? You know, at first people were like, oh, this is the end of math. This will, you know, no one will be able to do math ever again. Okay, we evolved past that. We'll probably get to a world where we find a way to still teach students, do our work, and this will, you know, hopefully make us more productive. Um, uh, it might not. There's There's been surprises in the past. We actually... Um, you can actually see through the data that when the internet came about, everyone was like, oh, work is going to become way more productive. But on a like economic level, you actually can't really see that bump in productivity from the internet nearly as much as you thought we would. So I'm saying right now, and I said early in this podcast, I think we'll probably see more bump in productivity. Even that could be wrong. Mm. So it's really hard to say. I think past you know five or 10 years... This stuff moves so fast that I I would not be surprised if it explodes and you know is becomes a core part of society. I'd also not be surprised if, like a lot of other technologies, it in the next couple of years doesn't live up to the same benefits that we that were promised. 
and it becomes a fun little, um, you know, quirk of society and go from there. Um, it's, it is, I, I know it's a cop out, but it is really hard to say, <laughs> especially <laughs> after, like after 10 years, because these things move so quickly. It was only like about 10 years ago, my, my, my advisor at, at MIT mentioned that it was only about 10 years ago when she, she was thinking, oh, this machine learning thing seems to be gaining traction. <laughs> Maybe we should start focusing on that in our research. And that was a totally normal statement to make 10 years ago. And now we work in robotics like that, that of course you would lose machine learning. That should be a part of your research. <laughs> so these things move so fast. It's really, it is really impossible to say. I will say that I don't think existential threats are the main thing we should be worrying about. We should be thinking about the economic implications. We should be thinking about societal, societal implications. Those will probably matter going forwards. Um, and I, I think uh, like both as an individual, but also on a policy level, right? Um, someone from my lab actually um, is doing a, a year or a semester, I don't exactly know, in DC to like try and inform policymakers about how to deal with AI because you know she's an expert in this field um, in terms of trying to translate work from, you know, in, in, uh, in times in the past where the nature of work has changed a lot, um, we've seen policies that try to help that along, right? So the New Deal, as you're seeing less farm work into more like factory work or more, you know, different aspects of, 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 of labor. Um, after World War II, we had the GI Bill that like brought people more education. You, you saw these initiatives that, you know, as, you know, earlier work was not being as relevant and newer skills had more importance in, in the labor force. I hope that we see ways to move people, um, you know, again, I, I think about robots a lot, move people from factory jobs into roles that where they can maybe supervise robots. I really hope that we see changes on the corporate level, on policy levels that incentivize companies to not just like leave those workers behind and just replace them. Cause that's not good for the worker. Ultimately that's not good for the firm as we can see, like economically, as we like study these companies trying to move towards robots, it's not good for anyone. And I hope we can see more push towards not of these jobs where you eliminate them or just make them, you know, more relevant in the workforce, but bring them up and try to try to skill people such that they can work with these robots, with these algorithms going forward. And, We'll have to see if, if that plays out. But I think that's the one thing that I, I, I hope for going forward. Okay. Well, very well said. Alex, thank you so, so much for taking time out of your Saturday to, to come and uh, talk about this with us. And, you know, we wish you the best of luck. And I hope you'll stay in touch and, and we can bring you back for other technology-related things as they occur, as, as they continuously seem to be. So, so thank you very much. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, it was fun. I'm always happy to talk about about um, these technologies. It's a uh, it's very exciting and hard to get a, a foothold into what's actually going on here. So I'm I'm happy to do my my very small part in that. In okay, that hey, ladies and gentlemen, Alex, we are. <laughs> we hope you'll follow or subscribe to Scandal Sheet on your favorite pod platform and share it with all your friends. We'd also love it if you'd leave us a shameless. Over the top, rave review on Apple Podcasts especially. That helps us build audience. Also, we want to hear from you. You can reach us online at ScandalSheetPod.com, Facebook, 
or Twitter, or just send us an email to contact at scandalsheetpod.com. See you next time on Scandal Sheet. Copyright 2023, Thad Helsley Media LLC. All rights reserved.